Well, good morning, South Oaks Church. I am so glad you're here. As Pastor Steve said, we start our series today on the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians 1, and we'll get going on that in just a second. The reason it's called the letter to the Ephesians is that these people lived in Ephesus. And uh, where was Ephesus? It's where uh, today would be the western coast of Turkey. It was a port city at that time where um, a river kind of went into the, the sea there. And uh, it was the leading city of the richest region of the Roman Empire at that time. It was a large city too. Only Rome and Alexandria were larger. So this is, we're talking to a big group of people here. Um, it was the principal port for that part of the world. It was very prosperous. It was a commercial center. The city was very cosmopolitan, obviously, being so big, and it was multi-ethnic. There were lots of people who came there from all over the world, and there was a strong Jewish community here, and Paul actually started this church after his 18-month time in Corinth. He was on that missionary journey, and he was helped here to start the church by Priscilla and Aquila. In fact, let's read a little bit about uh, this in Acts 19 so you know kind of the history of the start of the church. Uh, 19.1, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So they've obviously not heard of a lot that has happened in the past few years. <laughs> Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God, but some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Okay. So the original church, as we just read there, was comprised of some Christian Jews and also Christian Gentiles. And the church most likely met in various small groups in different homes for the Sabbath. Paul was here for two years, it told us. And then because later, if we kept on reading, we would say later there was a big uprising with the people who were not following Jesus, who were idol makers, silversmiths. And uh, because of this big uprising, this big riot, Paul had to leave the area and move to Macedonia and Greece. And this letter then was written about five years later while he was in prison, um, about AD 60, if that means anything to you. So let's go ahead then and read the first part of Ephesians chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, well, let's stop there for a moment. And um, as we see um, Ephesians written to the uh, Ephesians in their church out there in Ephesus, and also at this time when Paul would write a letter like to a church in Ephesus, it was a lot of different house churches, as we say, and it also then would be, after it circulated around there, it was called a circular letter, it would circulate around the house churches in Ephesus, and then it would be passed on to the next city, so that um, all the churches that Paul had started, all the churches Paul was kind of overseeing, would get this word. It started with Ephesians, but it went to the others, and you'll see as we go through the book that it really isn't just to those people. And because of that, we can see it's not just to that time. It's to us, too, today. And we can get a lot out of it ourselves. He's writing to address some of the concerns of the, the church. And he's saying this message is for everyone, no matter what your background, no matter what church. He starts out with the standard greeting. You'll see if you read uh, different letters from Paul, he always starts out telling who he is, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And that he also uh, tells who he's sending it to, but then he also says grace and peace to you. So this was kind of a standard way to start a letter, uh, a letter that he was writing to the people of the church. And then in verse 3, he praises God for giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. And what this means is that... Um, the impact of heaven's influence on us, uh, it's every spiritual blessing. Where it's, there's nothing we don't have in Jesus Christ from the standpoint of heaven. It's exactly what we need. And Paul elaborates on this. He says in verse 4, God chose us in him. This was a highly deliberate choice. This just didn't happen. The Greek word for choose here is that same word choose, like when Jesus went out and chose his disciples. It's that same word. And so God has chosen us. God has chosen you. And it was before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world, it says. Wow. Before God made the world, he chose you and me. How awesome is that? With the purpose here, it says, with the purpose of us being holy and blameless. Now, I, I mean, I've been a, a follower of Christ for several years, many years, but I can't say I'm blameless. Can you? 
No, you can't. We all still have, you know, days where we kind of mess up, right? We sin. But when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, God looks at us through the blood of Jesus. God sees us as he sees Jesus, holy and blameless. Because we put on Jesus Christ Amen. and his righteousness, we become the righteousness of God. Amen. Romans 13, 14 says, Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So as we daily follow Jesus Christ, as we put on what he's done for us, we, in our, our status before God, we are holy and blameless in his sight. How awesome. Then Paul says, God predestined us in love. Predestined, that's kind of a big word. Uh, and what it means is that it was marked out beforehand. Uh, that we should be adopted as sons and daughters of God. So what we've been predestined for is to be sons and daughters of God. How awesome is that? Uh, God created us for divine adoption to himself through Jesus Christ. And it tells us here that it was according to the good pleasure of his will. Before God created the, the earth, he wanted us to be in the family of God, to be his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. And this plan was put in place before he even created the first thing. He thought of you before he even made the world. God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins and to be raised to life for us to accomplish this plan that God intended. And that was his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He desires that we be sons and daughters of God. And that brings him pleasure, it tells us here. God created humankind for this purpose of being in fellowship with him. And Paul says this is to his praise, to his glorious grace, his praise, which he has freely, his grace, he's freely given us in Jesus Christ. And it says in the NIV, it says the one he loved. But if you look in the original language, it says... The beloved one. So he sends his beloved one, his son Jesus Christ, to die for us so we can be in relationship with him. And it says it gives him praise. That gives him praise. And so as we look at this first chapter, uh, and Paul's talking about all these things, the main thing he's talking about here are our spiritual blessings. So as we keep reading, let's look at it from that vantage point. So how do we receive spiritual blessings? Well, the first thing Paul is talking about here in verse 7 is being redeemed. He says you need to be redeemed. Jesus, In Jesus Christ, we have redemption, or we are redeemed through his blood. Colossians 1.14 says, in whom, talking about Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So a group question here, what is redemption? What does that mean to be redeemed? Saved. To be saved? Purchased. To be purchased by the blood of Jesus, right? At a price. At a price, yeah. It's an exchange. It's an exchange. Yeah. Uh, redemption here... In this Greek word that, that is that uh, basis for our English word redemption, the Greek means a release affected by the payment of a ransom. Jesus paid our ransom. He paid the price for our freedom by his death on the cross, by his shed blood. 
in Romans, it tells us in verse, uh, chapter 3, 21 to 24, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. So what that is, is that Jesus paid the price for our sins. Otherwise, if we had to pay that price, we could never do it. We can't be good enough. And here's one really good example of that truth, right? Point your finger at yourself, right, um, everybody? We all know we can never be good enough. We can try, we can be pretty good, but there's always something. We can't live it out on our own. And so because of that, Jesus was sent to die and pay that price for us. He paid the ransom, the price for our freedom. Like Pastor Steve was talking earlier in that song we sang about breaking every chain, we can't break the chains, but Jesus Christ can break them by the power of his shed blood. Being redeemed, though, doesn't just happen. It's not like you just grow up in the church and you're automatically redeemed. Uh, you have to ask God for it. You have to receive it. You have to want to have what Jesus Christ did for you. The forgiveness of sins and our eternal salvation. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So that's the thing here. When we believe on the name of Jesus, when we receive what he did for us, when we recognize that our sins have been forgiven by his death and resurrection, when we take that and say, Lord, I want that. Jesus Christ, I want you as my Lord and Savior. I believe on your name. We have the right then that we are divinely adopted as children of God. In Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins, and we are redeemed by the way of God's uh, riches of God's grace. It tells us here, it tells us in uh, Ephesians 1, it says, by the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us. And so that's the second thing about receiving our spiritual blessings, is that we want to receive God's grace. We want to have God's grace lavished out on us. Lavished. That's kind of a great word, you know, when you think about it. It means to exceed the necessary. So you might think that this is how much grace you would need. But God says, I'm giving you, I'm lavishing it on you. It's more than you need. The Greek word here, parisio, peri means all around, which indicates abundance. His grace is all around us all around us, up and down, everywhere, abundance above and beyond anything that you could possibly imagine, surpassing. It's so much more than we need. It cannot be measured. So, knowing this, what is the effect of God's limitless grace on you? Anybody? Thankfulness. The effect is thankfulness. What is the other effect? Well, we, we serve him. We serve him. Yeah. We praise him. Praise him. Yes. And here's the effect of it is that I always have more than I need. I can be thankful. I can serve him because I have more than I could ever possibly imagine or need. Uh, one of God's names by which he calls himself, you remember in 
the Old Testament, when he comes and speaks to Abraham, he tells Abraham his name is El Shaddai. El Shaddai, the God of more than enough, the all-sufficient one. So God's grace poured out on you is all around you. It's abundant. It's above and beyond. That's powerful. You have so much of God's grace, more than you could ever need, when you receive what he has for you. God lavished this grace on us, it tells us here in, in chapter 1, with all wisdom and understanding. That means right where you need God's grace, his wisdom has gone before and poured it out there. His understanding and wisdom are poured out, lavished on us along with his grace. Where do you need God's grace for you today? He has gone before and poured out grace. And do you need wisdom? He has gone before and poured out wisdom. Do you need understanding? He has lavished understanding on you. There's an unlimited supply of all these things, all these blessings poured out, lavished on us when we follow Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, it tells us he made known the mystery of his will. So is God's will a mystery? What do you think? Yes, uh, God's will is uh, revealed to us. It's a mystery, but revealed through something like creation or something, or, or his word. Yeah. So in the culture in Ephesus, because I thought this is kind of an interesting thing. It does talk about God's will being a mystery or the mystery of God. Um, this one, it, in saying that his will he made known to us the mystery of his will. I, I looked and I said, what can this be, this mystery? Because it doesn't seem like God's will should be a mystery. Well, in this cultural uh, setting in Ephesus, there were cults where people worshiped different spirits and evil things, and they were called mystery cults because the people there were called to secrecy about everything that went on. And unlike these mysterious cults, Paul is saying, God has made known the mystery of his will to all of us. Um, it's according to his pleasure. It's not a secret. It's something we can all know. So he's, he's probably comparing the two. So unlike things that we may know nothing about, and we don't know what God has planned for the whole future in our lives. We have to see some of that unfold. But God reveals things about his will to us, the things that Paul was talking about, about being in relationship with God and about having blessings. In 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8, it says, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So he's in this passage here, in this verse here, it's talking about how some of God's will is hidden. But then it's revealed to us. And so the mystery is the gospel. 
that God purposed to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And so that's been revealed. And so we might have salvation and eternal life, fellowship with God. And the gospel was purposed in Jesus Christ. It tells us in verse 10, it says, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. If you read it in a different translation, like uh, New, New King James, it'll say when it reaches the fulfillment, the fullness of time. The fullness of time or the fulfillment. Uh, in Galatians 4, 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. What that's telling us is there was a set time that God had for this to happen. And he determined when all the pieces came together, and that was the fullness of time when Jesus was born. And so he's saying that his will that he made known to us to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ verse 10 to be put into effect when times reach the fulfillment this means he he's bringing all these things together in Christ and the things in heaven and on earth it says to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ so has that happened yet is uh, are all things brought together in heaven and on earth under Christ's rule? No. Shaking his head, no. Partly, I would say. Yes, I I think partly, but not all. Yeah, not everything in heaven. Would we say everything in heaven is under His rule? Yeah. 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 And we'll see that as we read through the passage here. Yes, but on earth, not yet. Uh, when this will happen is at the end of time. And Revelation 19 talks about this. In verse 11, it says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With just, justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is what this is talking to, that when times reach their fullness, when everything has happened according to what it's supposed to, in the will of God, there is a time when Jesus Christ will rule over all and bring to unity all things in heaven and on earth. All of creation, heavenly and earthly, will be forced to submit to the righteousness and the all-powerful reign of the Messiah. And this, it tells us in this, in this passage, is part of the good pleasure of God, of his will. This is good news for all of us. In verse 11 it says, In him we were also chosen. That doesn't mean just some, that means all. In Jesus Christ we're chosen. The Greek here says, in him, Jesus, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, a heritage, a private possession. And this can also mean to cast lots, kind of like you win it, right? Going from having nothing to having 
uh, this rich inheritance in Jesus Christ. This was predestined or preordained or marked out beforehand. And like I said, it doesn't mean that only certain people can have it. It means everyone can who follows Jesus Christ. We need to interpret scripture with scripture to understand passages like this. It means that the opportunity exists for all of us. This relationship with God through Jesus Christ is available to everybody. We can all be chosen. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants us all to be chosen. It tells us that God works out everything according to the conformity of his will. And that is his purpose is to bring us into relationship with him through us accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But we have to make that choice. We each are given a free will. We can choose if we want that or not. God doesn't make us accept him. We're each given that choice. And whether we accept it or reject it, doing nothing, actually, there is no neutral. You either accept or reject. If you don't accept, that means you're still in the rejecting area. You need to accept it. Receive it, what God has done for you. And when we follow Jesus Christ, verse 12 tells us, it's for the praise of his glory. Those in Ephesus heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, and they believed. They were included in Christ, it tells us in in verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. And that's true of us too. When we hear the message of truth, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are included in Christ. So how to experience our spiritual blessings? To be redeemed, to receive God's grace, and third, to experience your inheritance. Uh, the Ephesians, like us, Paul says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And seals at that time were used uh, in the ancient world, and they indicated that you know either someone sent something or they indicated ownership. And God, it tells us here, has marked us by means of a seal, the gift of the Holy Spirit, as a sign that we belong to him, that we are part of his family, we are children of God. And the seal is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So when you become a follower of Christ, when you receive the Holy Spirit, that is a, a, like earnest money. The Greek here says, uh, like a large part of the payment given in advance as a security that the whole will be paid afterwards. So what this is saying is that yeah, the Holy Spirit is like this seal, like this deposit in your life of, of earnest money of what your whole inheritance will be later. So we have some stuff right now, but that's not everything. We will receive all of it later in eternity. Hebrews 9.15 said, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. 
So it's telling us that we have a promised eternal inheritance, but we have a part of that now. It's not all we're looking forward to something later and we got nothing now. There's been earnest money put down. When you buy a house, you put a portion of that total down on that house or that property. And you receive the whole, they receive the whole amount of money later, right? Well, this is saying that you have a spiritual inheritance that even now you have part of it. You don't have all of it, but you have part of it now. You have a spiritual blessing now. God tells us that we have salvation. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. But it's just a down payment of what is to come. There is so much more. Matthew 25, 31 and 34 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. That's cool. So what he's saying there is that Jesus was saying this. He's saying that, you know that thing about before the creation of the world, that your inheritance, your blessings are there? Yeah, Jesus is saying that right here. He's saying that you're going to come someday to the kingdom and receive the inheritance that's been prepared for you, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And Paul says, yeah, it's even before that. So how cool is that? That before God even made the world, the whole world, that he had prepared for us. Prepared since the creation of the world. That's pretty cool. That's really awesome. Our inheritance is eternal. The kingdom that God prepared for us, we can't even fathom it. I mean, we can read some stuff in the Bible, but it's going to be so much more. How awesome. It's beyond our understanding. And Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He talked about how we only see like a reflection in a mirror. But then we'll see full, uh, face to face. He's saying that you can't see the whole thing. It's like a reflection. You see part of it. Like when you look in a mirror, you just see this little part in the mirror, right? You don't see everything around all over. You just see part of it. And that's what Paul is saying. We can see part of it. But we can't see all of it. It's, but someday we're going to see it all face to face. Paul called, called it seeing partially what will be. But someday we're going to see it up close and personal. The kingdom that God has prepared for us is beyond description on earth. We'll see it someday when we are in the presence of the Lord. And all this to the praise and glory of God. Well, let's read the last few verses here of Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, 
power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So what Paul is praying for them, he's praying for them to receive some things about their spiritual uh, inheritance, a spirit of wisdom and revelation so they can know God, so they can know Jesus better. The ability to see things spiritually, he says, with their heart, but what the heart was considered to be like the center of the person. So, so we would truly see things to know the hope to which we are called, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and to know God's incomparably great power, his surpassing greatness, which is beyond, which exceeds uh, any power we can know, his great power that raised Jesus from the dead. You've probably heard this before, but that Greek word there for power is dunamis, which is the same as dynamite, okay? And I thought it was kind of interesting. It means that because in Matthew 28, 2, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it says, Behold, there was a great earthquake. So this power exploded, and it caused an earthquake. And the um, angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door. Okay, so the earthquake is powerful, like dynamite going off. But raising Jesus from the dead, as this scripture says, and seating him at the right hand in heavenly realms, that's power. That's real power. That same power, that explosive, life-giving power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to each one of us when we follow Jesus Christ. That same power. And Jesus is at the right hand of God, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and it says that he's over every name every title that is named not just in this present age but the age to come and that means not just now but forever jesus is over every name philippians 2 9 through 10 says therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. At the name of Jesus, every name will bow. Every, he's over every name, uh, every title, all rule, all authority, all power and dominion. And where we are, when we follow Jesus Christ, the kingdom rule of God is there in us, with us, when we are submitted to him. So are you struggling with an attack of the enemy? Proclaim the name of Jesus over whatever it is. Name it and tell, tell it that Jesus is a name above every name. Is it depression? The name of Jesus is over depression. Finances? The name of Jesus is over the problem with finances. What is its name? We want to proclaim the name of Jesus over whatever that is. You have spiritual blessings. Are you receiving these? The redemption, God's grace, and your eternal inheritance in Jesus. Or are you allowing the devil to beat you down and tell you there's nothing you can do about it where you are, that you just have to endure it, and all the depression, all the worry, all the dread, 
all the lack, all the attacks of the enemy, he tries to convince you, and he's a liar, right? He's a liar. He will lie and try and tell you, you would just have to deal with it. And Jesus is, uh, God's word is saying, Jesus' name is above all those things, that we can say the name of Jesus is over everything I'm dealing with. When you receive what Jesus did for you on the cross, the forgiveness of sins, the salvation, the eternal life, those things that you have as spiritual blessings, you have the inheritance in Jesus Christ, and you're a son and daughter of God. Would you stand with me as we close today? I just ask you to just bow your head. We're just going to take a time to reflect on this. Today, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to make that commitment today to receive the forgiveness of your sins, to receive salvation and all that God has promised you, to be in heaven with him someday, just raise your hand if you want to make that commitment today. Thank you. Lord God, we just thank you for those who want to make that decision today for the first time, that they want to say, Lord, I want to follow you. Lord God, I pray that um, they would receive everything you have for them. Lord, we pray that we just thank you that you've forgiven our sins, that you died for us, you paid that ransom for us. And so, Lord God, we can receive your grace. We can receive you as Lord and Savior. We can receive that down payment of our spiritual uh, inheritance. Holy Spirit, we ask that you anoint us, that you fill us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet, that you just uh, give us all that we need, more than we need even. <laughs> Lavish your grace upon us, Lord God, today in Jesus' name. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're in him, your uh, head's still bowed here and you're seated at the right hand of the Father, that means when you call on the name of Jesus, all of those things that the enemy is trying to make you take on you, all of those attacks must go under the feet of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Don't give him permission. He can only uh, give you what you will receive. Don't receive it. He's uh, trying to steal from you. He's trying to make you take on junk that isn't meant for you. And don't give him permission. Instead, we want to cry out the name of Jesus over whatever we're struggling with. I want you to think right now of what is the thing that you are struggling with today. And just hold your hands in front of your mouth. Just whisper out, what is that thing? And now cry out the name of Jesus. Jesus! Jesus! Jesus is over that thing. Just cry out the name of Jesus. Jesus! 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 Jesus, you are over all of these things that we are struggling with and dealing with on a daily basis. Lord God, we thank you that in you we have freedom, that in you we have salvation, that your name is above every name. Lord, we thank you that in you, you have lavished out all of the things on us that we need. You are the God of more than enough. Lord, we receive all that you have for us. We thank you for this letter from Paul that reminds us again of all that we have in you, Lord Jesus that reminds us again that you chose us and wanted us as children of God, that when we receive what you've done for us, Lord, we are divinely adopted into the family of God. 
Father, I pray that we would not allow the enemy to mess with us, that we would instead lay down those things in front of the cross, and Lord, that we would claim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over that issue, over that trial, over that trouble, and know, and over our own personal lives too, Lord God, that we would be submitted to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord God. I ask that the Lord God, the glorious Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, that mighty strength which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is named not only in the present age, but in the age to come. We thank you, Lord God, that you are over everything in the church, which is your body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen.